hurt yourself. I can't play tennis, my golf's a menace. I just can't do the Australian crawl. And I'm no better at volleyball. Ain't there anyone here for love? Sweet love, ain't there anyone here for love? You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. Well, in World War II, pinup photos of actress singer Jane Russell adorned the barracks of American GIs stationed throughout the world. Russell's first film, The Outlaw, released in 1943 and directed by Howard Hughes, showed off, of course, her dramatic beauty and full figure in a way that pushed the limits of what the censorship board would actually allow. In the 1950s, Russell won critical acclaim for her co-starring role as Marilyn Monroe's level-headed best friend in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Screen actress, singer, model, and conservative activist, please welcome to the Drew Marshall Show, Miss Jane Russell. I so much appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> That's quite an introduction, isn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> the one song out of the second picture that caused a bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in good company. Trouble, uh, people have accused me of getting into that a little bit myself. Now, I, inter- I understand, Miss Russell, that uh, uh, growing up, your family actually moved to Canada for a little bit. Is that right? Well, when I was born, my family were in Canada, my mother and dad. My dad had a job up there in Edmonton. And uh, when I was born, my they had both come from Grand Forks, North Dakota. So my mother came down and went to the summer house of her parents because all her brothers and sisters are there, and she wanted me to be an American citizen. So I was born in Bemidji, <laughs> Uh, Minnesota. And then about six days after that, we went back to Canada to my dad. Wow. But all the rest of the boys were in born in the United States. I have four brothers. Ernestine, Jane, Geraldine, Russell. Who was Ernestine and Geraldine? Well, uh, <laughs> when I got my passport, it was Baby Russell. <laughs> Baby Russell. My, my mom was Geraldine. Right. And there were three boys and three girls in her family, and Ernestine was her other sister, and then uh, there was Ruth. So th- those names came from, but Mother said, I always was, knew you were Jane Russell. <laughs> well, speaking of things your mother said, here's a quote. Uh, I'm strictly a right brain person, and my, my mother knew that, and she said to me when I was a child, Dear, you can have music, drama, or art. But just skip science and math. So I ended up being an actress, and my life has been a series of accidents that the Lord planned. Right. (laughs) I call that the Lord's accidents, because I would start out in one direction, and uh, the Lord would just somehow turn it all around, and I'd end up going a totally different way. I didn't want to be an actress, because my mother had been a stage actress, and I thought, no, I'll do something on my own. So I was going to be a designer because I could do art, music, or drama, but forget math and science (laughs) and all those heavy things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She was looking at my report card. (laughs) I I have a daughter much like you. 
I see. <laughs> do you remember, Ms. Russell, do you remember the first significant spiritual experience in your life? Well, I remember giving my heart to the Lord at five years old. There was a lady on my way home from school that had little girl's tea for me, and she was a friend of my mother's. And then one day she had asked me if I wouldn't like to give my heart to the Lord. And I said, oh, sure. (laughs) And when I got home... uh, Apparently, my mother had heard it from the lady already, <laughs> but i sure I remember it. My mother was a wonderful Christian hmm. and a very smart woman because she never yelled at her kids. She had five hellions, and uh, <laughs> I was the oldest, <laughs> and she never yelled at us. It was always she waited till you were through hollering yourself, and then she'd say, "Now, dear, I think that maybe this would work." <laughs> she was a wise lady. You bet. My father was a Republican, and he couldn't stand what Franklin D. Roosevelt was doing to the country. Are you more like your father than your mother? Well, I got a bit of both of them. <laughs> I'm not as wise as my mother at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a raving Republican, and so that's what I heard at home, and I've always been a Republican. But I now know why, because it's it's much more practical. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard it put like that. To be a raving Republican is much more practical. Yeah. You know, people are supposed to get pay their own way and keep a job and take care of their family and... The Democrats want the government to do it and give it all to everybody, whatever. Hmm. Of the influences in your in your life, Ms. Russell, uh, obviously your mom and dad had a had a tremendous influence in your life. Would there be somebody that would have a a great spiritual influence in your life? Well, my mother did. She wasn't a preacher, but she became a wonderful Bible teacher. And I can remember as a as kids we. We'd hear the bell ring, and everybody would come from off the property. We we had seven and a half acres, and uh, we would all come and sit down under the tree, and Mom would come out and give us our daily Bible story. And because she had been an actress, she could make the characters and the people in uh, the Old Testament and the New very like they are, <laughs> like they were. Sure. It make very interesting, and you don't forget them. Sure. We ended up having our own chapel on the property, um, and her sisters also were Christian, and uh, Aunt Ernie had six kids, and Mom had five, and Aunt Ruth had two more, and there was my one cousin, Pat. Thank the Lord she was my age. Well, you were the only two females in the lot. Yes, there were. We were surrounded by twelve boys, <laughs> so we know all about boys. We know they know how to cry, and you know all the things. <laughs> do you do you think that played any role in uh, in sort of shaping you as a woman? Absolutely. I feel very sorry for gals that have never been around boys. Right. When they're young, 
Well, there, there's three words that many people use to describe you: mean, moody, and magnificent. I'm... <laughs> that was that was an advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind just recounting one more time for our listeners how you were discovered? Oh boy, another one of the Lord's accidents. I had a a friend that I'd been close to in school, and as we got out of school, she was working in a coffee shop. And a well-known photographer came in to get a cup of coffee, and he asked her, he says, have you ever done any uh, modeling? And she said, no. And he says, well, I think you'd be good. If you're interested, why don't you come to the studio, and uh, we'll take some pictures and see what happens. And... Um, he says, my wife's always there, so you don't have to worry about anything. Okay. Well, she wasn't, she didn't have a car, and I could drive my mother's car. So she called me, and she says, I need a ride to go to see Tom Kelly as a photographer. Well, we both went to Tom Kelly, and uh, <laughs> we both ended up working for him. And it was, it was quite a while after that that, uh, an agent that was a buddy of his or a friend, and he came in to Tom's and was, was talking, and he saw a picture of me that was up on the wall, and he says, well, now, who's that? And he says, just, she's a nice little girl from the valley, Silver Fox, just go on, get out, find your own. <laughs> so, and then Tom got busy doing something, and the agent went over and picked the, picture off the wall and stuck it in his briefcase and left and was going around to the different studios, you know, try to get actors in and out. And um, when he got to the Hughes office, it was just uh, his, I can't even think of the word, <laughs> that was, you know, just uh, the guy that was trying to pick the actors for different things. Right. And there was no Howard Hughes around at all. And uh, he took it around to the different offices, and when he got to that Hughes office, it was, um, they, the guy said, well, she looks the type. Um, we're going to test. We have four, we have five boys, but we have four girls, and this would make five. And so, uh, yeah, bring her in, and we'll see. And... Um, <laughs> Then poor Levis, the agent, had to go back to Tom Kelly and say, Who is she and where do I find her? <laughs> well, I had gone out to my cousin Pat out in Fontana, which was quite a ways away, and uh, to spend a few days with her. And Mother called and said, There's some agent, dear, that just keeps calling. And When are you coming home? <laughs> Well, I eventually went home. I wasn't very impressed at all. And I went into the office with him and with the agent. And first of all, I went, well, I went and I had to do costumes and put the long hair on and everything. And um, all the gals were dressed alike, and we did the test. Hmm. And then Howard Hawks was to be the director. And uh, we went to 
it was the Hughes building, but it was Howard Hawks, the director that was in the office. And it was there. There was nothing very fancy about that place at all. And he showed me all the tests down that we had done down in the basement of this building. And it was in the haystack and where I try to kill Jack. And um, so <laughs> I got there and I saw Jack Butel and Howard Hawk said, "Well, you two kids got the part." And I just flopped back on the cot that I was sitting at the end of and Jack just grabbed his head and oh my (laughs) and Howard Hawk said now that's exactly what I want I want you kids to do be natural in everything well the way the whole thing turned out of course there wasn't a natural natural move in the whole darn picture No, because Hawks didn't get to finish directing it and Howard Hughes came in then Yes, and we didn't even meet him until after we'd been out on location in Arizona. And when Hughes would get the film, they'd send the film into him in Hollywood. And then every single morning, he had another suggestion for Howard Hawks. And finally, Howard just couldn't stand it anymore. He said, forget it. He just says, Howard why don't you direct this picture? (laughs) (laughs) Got in his plane and flew home. Oh, boy. And he had said to Jack and me that we would, he said, don't worry, kids, we'll work again someday. Hmm. And uh, took took off. So when we finally met Howard Hughes, he was very polite and very nice, but he didn't know exactly what he wanted. And if he did... He would take take after take after take after take. And not because they were wrong. He would say things like, now, I, I remember this one for sure. Uh, that's, that was fine. But, but Jack, you raised your left eyebrow with that. And if you could, could we do it again and just don't do that? Well, Jack and I had never been in a picture. And... There was nothing natural that we were able to do. If you actually look at the film, you can tell the part we did with Hawks that Jack did. I never got to work with Hawks. And he's, you know, a smart little hotshot boy. And when you see the stuff that Hughes did, it's very... uh, (laughs) I don't know even how to put it. Well, would it be stifling? It was totally different. Right, right. Uh, it, it was almost like <laughs> Howard wanted Jack to be a little bit like him and, uh, you know, be quiet and polite. And hmm. Well, Ms. Russell, which director would you say brought out the best in you? Would you say it would be Howard Hughes or, or Howard Hawks? Oh, it was Hawks, for heaven's yeah. sake, if you're going to be the director. Hughes was very good as uh, after... after I got to know him, I was yelling at him. Hmm. And he would just be very polite and answer it back. He was a very different kind of man. And uh, none of the books sound like him. Terry Moore's book does. Sounds like like him. Hmm. 
but the others are all I don't know they've, they've got such crazy ideas and none of them knew him well some people say that say that those years you were contracted to Howard Hughes were spent using you for your figure instead of your true acting talent is that a fair assessment absolutely I was it was nothing but publicity right you know I did it five days a week with two different photographers I'd go out one day with one and another day with the next one wow. Well, after years of publicity and two brief pre-releases for The Outlaw, the, the censorship board and Howard Hughes basically turned you into America's number one sex symbol. <laughs> oh, boy. And then Robert Waterfield and I were going together through this whole time, and we wouldn't even look at the the magazine stuff. As, you know, we just looked the other way and went on with our lives. Yeah. Well, and that's a question I want to know here, Ms. Russell, is when did it start getting old? You know, people making reference to your figure. I mean, Bob Hope and his infamous introduction of you. There's a couple of Twin Peaks in Alaska that are named after you. <laughs> that publicity Eddie called me lumps. <laughs> <laughs> Publicist uh, Russell Birdwell promoted the Outlaws release by hiring skywriters to emblazon the Southern California skies with a pair of enormous circles. And I guess that had something to do with you as well. I mean, it, it must have gotten old. <laughs> it was ridiculous, the whole thing. Well, this has nothing to do with your what you have there, I guess. But at least I had a chance to do other things. But Hawks tried to borrow Jack very near after the breakup. And it was for Red River with John Wayne. Hmm. and Hughes was still mad at Hawks, and he would not loan him. Really? So it ended up the poor Jack just never, he got some sea pictures, he had to join the Navy, he came back, and hmm. it was just very unfair. And, of course, years later, you were the Playtex Cross Your Heart Lady. Yes, I did that for 15 years, but that was because it was a good practical thing to do sure um and actually howard had tried to plan a bra because i had to wear silk blouses over the you know jersey silk and you could see the seams in all the bras and he didn't like that he wanted it smooth so that's what ended up with that i he had a, a broad design, and it was uncomfortable and terrible, and I threw it under the cot in my dressing room. <laughs> and uh, I took Kleenex, soft Kleenex, and put it across the bra, my own bra. To hide the seams. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went out, and they looked and looked, and, well, it's, it's going to work his bra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they never knew the difference. Oh, you are a classic. Uh, you know, I wonder if there's anyone today, Miss Russell, who has... It, that Miss Russell, I don't even know who you're talking okay. about. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's Jane. Well, I just, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Um, I wonder if there's anyone today who's had to endure the, the uphill battle of sexual typecasting that you and Marilyn Monroe had to go through? Well, actually, I was very glad that we had those rules and regulations because today they'd have you doing 50 times worse. And 
I was very happy that they caused a ruckus, and and you had to get those things okay. Right, with the censorship uh, board. Right, right, right. I'm just thinking about the movies today and and who's out there and and who you like. If you if you had to pick a favorite from the likes of today's women of the screen, Nicole Kidman, uh, Julian Moore, Julie Roberts, Meryl Streep, where would you go? I can see her face as plain as day. Nicole Kidman, of course. Nicole Kidman is lovely. In the studio with us, we have a young lady, Madeline Smith Osborne, who has done a lot of work in Hollywood over the years, worked with Chevy Chase and Joe Pesci and John Travolta. She was in Urban Cowboy. Do you remember Urban Cowboy? Oh, yes. I would have been the the sort of Jane Russell prototype in that movie, except I have no chest at all. <laughs> but I had the long dark hair and the sort of supposed to be the moody second woman. Sure. Know. Well, and I saw I saw incredible comparisons between uh, headshots of both of you. Oh. Uh, Madeline, this is this is Jane. Jane, this is Madeline. Hi, Madeline. Oh, Jane, I'm very honored to meet you. It's a, you can imagine the thrill. Well, they they'll pick something else. You know, Betty Grable. It was a Fanny, <laughs> and she did the ads on that. In fact, they, she had been doing ads on that before I had to do the bra one. Well, I wish I had had someone like you to talk to when my career was active. I haven't done anything for 13 or 14 years. I decided to, to raise my children, and, and uh, I just had a lot of compromises I didn't know how to deal with, so I allowed right. myself to, to detach from the business. But, oh, I could almost cry thinking how I would love to have had you to talk to when I was an up-and-coming actress and a devoted Christian in my heart and not being able to work out all of these things. Oh, it would have been marvelous. Hmm. You had to learn how to yell. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure I didn't come up against anything that you came up against, but just deep in the quiet of my own life, I I had a lot of things I didn't know how to work out, and it would have been enormously encouraging you know, to talk to someone like you because for some reason I felt like I was all alone in Hollywood at that time. Hmm. Clearly there were many out there, but I didn't know who they were, so I just felt like... Well, there's a lot of people there right now that are just weird. <laughs> Their whole attitude. <laughs> well, yeah, see, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Their whole attitude. It's nothing like it was in the 40s. We We had many, many solid Republican people, and uh, it was... The heads of the studios were all Republican. You see, that's really, really hard to imagine that Hollywood back in the day was actually considered conservative. Yeah, it was. Well, look at John Wayne and Robert Mitchum. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. All these guys that were just really big time, and that was their whole background and attitude. Hmm. Well, folks, we are talking to Hollywood sensation Jane Russell. Here's another quote from you. I always say I'm a mean-spirited, narrow-minded, right-wing conservative Christian. I start out with that, and if you don't like it, you can lump it. I'm not politically correct. (laughs) Where did you get all these things? That's exactly what I say in Hollywood, because when I go to, to, you know, Washington on one of those big three-day jobs or something... People, the Republicans will look at me and they'll say, but but, uh, wh- what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> I just can't believe that there's an actress or somebody that came from Hollywood long ago sure. 
And I, that's when I say it. I say, look, I'm a mean-spirited, narrow-minded, right-wing, conservative, Christian bigot. <laughs> and they say, um, my son said, Mother, you can't say bigot. And I said, I am bigoted. I said, I'm not bigoted about race. I'm bigoted about those idiots that are trying to take the Bible out of school, the Ten Commandments off the wall, and prayer even out of football games. <laughs> now, if that's not oh. stupidity, I don't know. I've never met it. You are a gem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Quite refreshing. You know what I like to do whenever I have guests such as yourself on the show? I like to throw out a few names of people I think you've you've probably worked with over the years and maybe just get a, a one-liner from you, maybe a description. Just a one-liner. Are you ready? Well, we'll try. We'll give it a go. Here we go. Clark Gable. Oh, the biggest tease on the face of the earth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Robert Mitchum. Uh, we became friends for life. <laughs> he Bo- was Peck's bad boy, but he just was, I loved him. Yeah. It seemed like you and Bob were, were close. Yes. Speaking of Bob's, Bob Hope. Oh, he was a, a Gemini that was a... I thought going to work with him was like going to heaven. Really? They did one or two takes. They did one, and if it worked, you know, it never did two. <laughs> it was just fabulous, and I traveled with him all over the country um, because it was the war was going on, and we went to air bases and naval places and uh, over and over. I never went overseas with them because my kids were home and I wanted to be with them. Good for you. But throughout the year, we would travel around the United States. Hmm. Uh, Tony Orlando used the words consummate professional when describing Bob Hope to me. (laughs) Yeah. He was lots of fun and... I think absolutely brilliant. Yes. Marlon Brando. I never met Marlon, and I wish he hadn't started out with that language. (laughs) I know. Or lack of. (laughs) I remember you saying somewhere that you were just so frustrated with his mumbling. Absolutely. And all all the actors started doing it. Nobody was trying to make it clearer so you could understand the whole thing. Sure, sure. Jerry Lewis. Jerry was... I knew them when he and Dina just started working together, not in pictures. And they were trying to get... It was a, They were working in a nightclub. They, they would ask us to go and do a charity thing or to, something, you know, publicity-wise that was helpful to people. And we would, Jerry and I would both be there and go. It would be early in the morning usually. And Dean never showed up. Hmm. Jerry, then you can you can understand his doing that show for was it? Yeah, muscular dystrophy. Yeah, mm-hmm, the telethon for years. Yeah. Uh, Big heart. Yes. What about Bing Crosby? He's one of my favorites. Oh. Well, I love the way he sings. I only worked with him once, and it was just a, a gag at the end of one of their pictures, he and Bob. Right. 
I came out of a basket or something. <laughs> and then Bing and Dorothy were standing there with her arm through Bing's. And Bob Hope is, oh, delighted. And I walk over and take Bing's other arm, and the three of us walk away. And Bob is standing there screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Is Gentleman Prefer Blonde still your favorite Jane Russell movie? Well, yes, and Howard Hawks is the director. I finally got to work with that man. (laughs) And Jack Cole did the choreography. All right. And Marilyn nor I had ever danced. Wow. So Jack Cole had to teach both of us. And Marilyn had never sung before. Hmm. Well, you must just get so tired of being asked about Marilyn Monroe. So, so no, I, no, no. She was a nice kid. You sure? Well, I, I just want to ask you one quick question, because it's not about Marilyn. It's about you today. Was it true that Marilyn Monroe broke down crying on the set of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and it's something to do with the, with Howard Hawks kicking her drama coach off the set? Yeah. Yes, it's true. She was counting on her coach. And the night before, she had worked all the scene with, out with the coach. So when she comes on the set in the morning, her eyes immediately go to the coach instead of to Hawks. He didn't... You don't do that to Howard Hawks. No, you don't do that. <laughs> She was naive in lots of ways, but she was a very sweet little gal who was afraid to go out on the set. Hmm. And so her makeup man told mine, said she's in way before Jane is, and I can't, she's just nervous about going out. So I said, I'll take care of that. And I went over and said, come on, baby, we got about five minutes to go. And she'd look up and with a big smile and say, oh, all right. <laughs> and we'd get up and trot away together. <laughs> oh, you are an absolute pleasure to speak with. This is this is so fun for me. I'm having an absolute blast. <laughs> One of the things that happened to poor Marilyn was when Daddy, the guy playing Tom, Tommy Noonan, was they had a kissing scene, and so a, a guy came up to him right after that and said, well, you just kissed Marilyn Monroe. Now, what was it like? <laughs> and Tommy looked up in the air and said, it uh, it was like being swallowed alive. <laughs> Marilyn burst into tears oh, and no. ran to her dressing room. Oh, no. It, it's just, I would have said to him, honey, you'd be so lucky. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Swallowed a lot. Oh, my goodness. Hollywood actress Jane Russell joining us uh, on the Drew Marshall Show. I, I understand you had sort of a front row seat during September 11th. Oh, I was in Washington. Right near the Pentagon, is that right? Yes, I was staying with uh, ex, now he's not a general, I guess now, uh, General Jack Singlob. I'd gone to high school with him, and every time I went to Washington, I'd stay with he and his wife. And Jack had taken a walk that morning, and when he got back, I was trying to describe to him what had happened. The first plane had hit, and then the second. And Jack, I'm standing, no, he was standing and looking out the window while I was talking to him. I'm on the couch in front of him. And... All of a sudden, he says, 
my God, they've, they've just hit the Pentagon. And we both ran out on that porch and saw it. Wow. I had been in New York before that. And then I came into Washington and I came home. And I, I wish I could think of his name. He's he's well known and he, he was a, a buddy of Jack's too. And he, on the phone, he heard I was there. And when I picked up the phone and t- to talk to him, he said, don't you see what you've just caused? You were in New York, and now look what's happened in Washington here. You've caused it all. I think you should go home. <laughs> oh, gee. Well, your your autobiography, Jane, uh, My Path and My Detours, were you taken by surprise by any reflections you might have had on your life as you put that together? I think in the book I do say quite a lot Um I haven't read it for so long. It came out in 85. But I tried to tell it just like it was. What would you say has been the maybe the toughest issue that you've had to process over the years? If you could bring one to the surface, what what would that be? I think the, the publicity at that time was... I can remember when I was doing The Outlaw, there were a whole batch of photographers there and I had only worked with Tom Kelly and he was a perfect gentleman if he had a bad scene or something he tore it up and that was it he did another one Hmm. and so I was not prepared at all and they had my I was in my costume and uh, they would put a pail down about 10 feet in front of me and they'd be about five feet ahead of that. And they'd say, now, come on, Janie, um, pick, walk down here and pick up that pail. Well, you know what they got. And I had no idea that was happening until I saw it on the top of magazines sure. and stuff. Sure, And I remember one day I went to Howard Hawks and I was crying because the publicity guy and uh, a friend of his they wanted me to jump up and down in my nightgown on the bed. And I knew something was very wrong about it. And I went to Howard Hawks right afterward, and I was crying. And I told him what had happened. And he said, now listen, you're a big girl now, and you've got to learn how to say no loud and clear. Good for him. And it was the best piece of advice you've, you've gotten for a long time. Oh, yes. Isn't that great? Yep, and he, he was so smart. And <clears throat> all the crazy things that happened, <laughs> I learned how to say no loud and clear. Yeah. They would even get up on uh, balconies in in uh, Hollywood later, you know, and then they'd ask me to walk underneath and go in the house. And I would just stand there with my hands on my hips and say no loud and clear. Good for you. And they would pack up their gear and go. Go away. Good. That's all they wanted. Yeah. That is the pain in the neck. Yeah. I can imagine it would be. Uh, The divorce from your high school sweetheart, Bob Waterfield, your second husband, Roger, dying only a few months after your wedding, uh, not being able to go on cruises with your husband, John, anymore. Of course, he passed in 99, I believe. And Roger died uh, 
three months after we were married. Wow. And Robert Waterfield had died. I did divorce yeah. her. Um, but we were we were actually together about 27 years, Robert and myself. And I, but we didn't get married. And so, in when we got married, it was 23 years. Hmm. And with John, it was 25. And with Roger, at three months, that really put me in a big fit. Well, I can imagine, and I mean, you know, Jane, this is probably a very unfair question, but which one of those still affects you the most? All three. All three have really taken absolutely taken its toll on you. Uh, well, Robert Waterfield and I had the hots, <laughs> and each one of the guys was quite different. John was a taker carer of. He just would, there wasn't enough that he would do in any direction to take care of you. Hmm. It was wonderful. And Roger, I have no idea how it would have turned out, but we, he would say to me something about, we're both sitting there watching TV, and he says, is this something you like to watch? And I said, well, not particularly, but, you know, yeah. He'd say, well, I'd much rather talk to you. Can we just turn it off? <laughs> Isn't that that's sweet? And he was a fabulous actor. Hmm. And uh, life would have been very different. Three adopted children, five stepchildren. If I have the numbers incorrect, let me know. Three children that I adopted. Right. And I did that, you know, because the mother used to say, the Lord has a path he wants you to go on. And if you go and then get a, fall off the path, he will rub your nose in it. <laughs> and then he will get you back on the path. So before I was even married, I had an abortion. Hmm. And I was terribly sick. I almost died. It was all wrong in the wrong direction. The Lord rubbed my nose in it. And I, you know, then we found out that Robert and I couldn't have any children. Hmm. So that's how I started with the adoption and why. And my first child, my daughter, was born on my birthday. Wow. Then I wanted her to have an older brother. And by the time we found Thomas, I had been all over, well, in this country and in Europe, looking for, for adopting children. And I just saw so much, and the Lord just poured it all over me. And so there was nothing I could do but start something that would be get more children adopted. And we started an organization called WAIF, which means a child without a home. And we were in WAIF for uh, 40 years. And... I think something like 51,000 children got adopted. Wow. And the Lord just did the whole thing. He led me around by the nose and gave me people that were wonderful help. And uh, we, had a, we had chapters in New York and Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco, Hawaii. Good for you. And they would have big things about adoption. Uh, and and help children get adopted. Good for you. Well, as uh, speaking as someone who has been adopted myself, and there's another lady in the studio who's also co-hosting with us, and 
that's been her experience as well. Uh, thank you for for doing what you did. Well, I think no charity will get started about anything except the one that has the idea got their nose rubbed in it, knows what's <laughs> wrong with it and how you can fix it. You indeed have so much wisdom. It is. It has just been a pleasure speaking with you. Your last film, 1970, I think, Darker Than Amber. Is that correct? <laughs> I can't even remember the last two. Well, if someone offered you a major, a major role in a picture today, no, no, no. Come on, <laughs> come on. I wouldn't want to. I I wouldn't want to have to learn the lines. I don't think I could. You either. Use them or lose them, you know. (laughs) (laughs) What if, I mean, come on, what if Ron Howard had asked you to... Oh, heavens. (laughs) No, no, no. I I really don't, I have no idea about learning new lines or anything. I wouldn't mind, well, what I'm doing right now, I don't mind, because I can stop or go on or, you know... (laughs) People have asked me before, but I just don't want to have to learn lines. No, no, I understand. I understand. Well, just before we let you go, um, I just want to maybe just put you over here, Madeline, just for a second. And I know Madeline wants to say goodbye to you. And it didn't dawn on me until I looked at pictures Uh side by side of Madeline, Madeline Smith Osborne, and you, Jane Russell, both physically, but also just with not physically. No, come on. Well, no, hold on. Silly. I'm talking facial. So stop. How yeah, tall were you, Jane? How tall were you? Or are five, you five seven? Five seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I beat her by an inch, but she's okay. got me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, just in that in that strong character. Yeah, it's just she she'll know she knows what I mean by this. The 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 dark. The dark woman, the dark ingenue, the second, the smoldering, you know, all of that. Yeah, there was right. a There was a moment there in my career where I was launched sort of in that direction, but I never did play it out. Oh, you but. were smoldering. <laughs> oh, How old are you, Madeline? Well, I just turned 50. Oh. So, yeah. So this my, was... My daughter just turned 55. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know what? Th- this may sound kind of silly. I cannot wait to play this interview for my father, who I'm sure would have been just one of your one of your fans, and this will just be a wonderful thing for us to share. I'm going to see him next week, and I'm going to sit him down, and we're both going to enjoy this together. Thank you so much. What a great visit. Dad, I'd love to meet you. Oh, what a great visit to have with you. I'm, I'm really thrilled. Where were you when you were in California, Madeline? Where were you living, roughly? Oh, I lived right in the Hollywood Hills. I could, I could walk and bike up to the sign, Jane. I lived in a wonderful little house that was probably built in the 30s uh, up there in Beechwood Canyon. And Jane, where are you at these days? Well, I've I started out in the San Fernando Valley. I'm a valley girl, definitely. Mm-hmm. Not a Beverly Hills one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to Santa Barbara, and I lived there until John died in '99. And in 2000, my kids moved me up here to Santa Maria, which is about an hour and a half above Santa Barbara. Right. Right. And I've been here since 2000. Well, I was in California for five years, and a couple of my highlights are places such as Solvang. That was the little Dutch community, yeah, I think, right oh, along yeah. the coast. Yeah. 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 And San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo is exactly where I was going to go, and Morro Bay and San Luis Obispo. And right. I, I just love that area. It was beautiful. Yes. Yes, and you're on the water up there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, was, I was on staff at a place called Hume Lake Christian Camps up in the mountains. 
Oh. But anyway, I think I've said this three times already, but I, I very much have appreciated your, your time, your wisdom, your stories, your anecdotes. It's just been a tremendous time with you, Jane Russell. Well, thank you very much. I wish I had a, all my mom's sayings because nobody ever forgets them. No, that's right. That's right. Well, again, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll uh, speak to you again, hopefully, in the future. All right. Thank you. Bye, Jane. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jane Russell there. What a, a tremendous time with the one and only uh, Hollywood actress, 50s pinup girl, and here singing with Marilyn Monroe. Have a little listen. Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe. Right. This one thing I know When love goes wrong A man takes flight And women get uppity oh The sun don't beam The moon don't shine the tide don't ebb and flow. A clock won't strike, a match won't light. When love goes wrong, nothing goes right. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca. Around you, crazy mademoiselle. And day is dark as night A man it fits